The following content is sponsored in partnership with Haymarket Media U.S. It's the PR Week Podcast in partnership with Cision. On today's episode. If a trend is taking off on TikTok, but you don't have an always on strategy, you then have to go, oh, wow, this would be a great trend for my product or my service. But now I have to start the outreach. By the time you do the outreach, get the influencer, you've lost it. You're out of the game. Hi, everyone. This is Gideon Fiddlesad, Editorial Director of Custom at PR Week. I'm very pleased to welcome you to this very special podcast. And of course, I want to thank Cision for sponsoring it. Our conversation today is going to be about influence and influencers with a good dose of content mixed in as well. This is really going to be a 360 degree conversation about the topics. And I know that because of the amazing leader who is joining me today. Shanae Norenius is VP of Product Management at Cision. Even more specifically, she leads Basumo. If you go to its website, you'll see its tagline, a world with better content. Well, we're all for that, right? In a nutshell, Sinead is helping to reimagine how content creators, including, of course, influencers and PR and marketing teams connect, collaborate and transact. And everyone out there listening today is really going to get a taste of all of that. Sinead, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Gideon. Now, I could have given you a better introduction, but um, that would have taken up the whole podcast. So... (laughs) Sinead's great. Let's leave it at that. And she's going to prove it in the next few minutes. So lots of questions and topics to tackle today. So let's get right to it. Authenticity and transparency. These Mm -hmm. are two words that are constantly on the lips of communicators. It's a never-ending pursuit to ensure everything a brand does espouses those two qualities. But as consumers become more savvy, they also become increasingly skeptical of the content that feels overly promotional. This is where those two words, authenticity and transparency, really stand out. So, Sinead, could you talk a bit about how brands and the influencers they work with are and or should be focusing on on authenticity and transparency to create those genuine connections with their audience? Absolutely. Yes, it's it's something that really has to be at the forefront of how brands are approaching influencer marketing in particular. So number one, I think one of the key things that brands have to really look at and be honest about is the influencers that they want to work with, making sure that their actual audience aligns to the type of people that they want to reach. Oftentimes I see brands get really excited about a particular influencer, And then they're either severely disappointed with their results or it just doesn't match the audience and who they are. Um, And it can be oftentimes a failure. So, for instance, I'll give you a perfect example. One client worked with a um, we worked with or they wanted to work with an influencer who is absolutely amazing, beautiful. It was a hair care product beautiful woman, beautiful hair. However, um, when we dug in and looked at who her audience was, it turned out that 80, about 85% of her audience were male. And that was the complete opposite audience of who we were trying to reach. So even though the brand loved this person, it just didn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. A, the brand was going to get disappointed by the results. B, it wasn't going to resonate with her audience anyways, as much as the brand wanted to. So there's that. I really recommend brands 
take a deeper dive into the influencer's audience and just make sure that it does align. The second thing is, is going to be allow the influencer to tell you whether or not uh, they feel it's going to be a fit. And I think influencers are feeling more self-confident and, and secure in saying, you know what, thank you for the opportunity, but I know this isn't going to work for my audience. They know they're the content generators. They're looking at the engagements, the comments, things like that. So just make sure that it has a mutual benefit. And then I would say after that, long gone are the days of, like you said, the very polished content, the content that's highly scripted, you know, absolutely picture perfect. To be honest, consumers want raw. They want real life, real kind of, you know, see the product in action um, and how they trust these influencers, how the influencer would potentially use it talk about the service, whatever it might be. So I think that's also another key part of it is that brands have to understand that those highly polished ads, those highly polished collaborations no longer is effective. And we see that definitely with the rise of TikTok, right? Mm. Very, very raw, not unpolished. You never know what's going to go viral or resonate with various audiences. Then, of course, for the last part, I'd be, you know, very misstep to not mention this. There's always going to be the uh, need for disclosure, so Gideon, obviously the FTC has very specific rules and regulations around disclosure, but you, you have to play by those rules. You do not want to put your brand at risk and you certainly don't want to put the influencer at risk. So disclosures, whether that is saying upfront, hashtag ad, partnership, whatever it is, but those are going to be very, very, four very key factors when it comes to authenticity and transparency and being able to do it well. You know, first off, I'm really, really glad you mentioned something about not perfect content because that will probably allow me to keep a job. Because if there's anything I'm good at, it's not perfect. And the second thing is that the danger of having a podcast guest that is so brilliant is that they tend to answer every single question you have in one shot. I'm kidding. Of course, there are. Of course, we still have a lot to cover, but you did cover a lot. And the, and the fact is you mentioned collaboration with influencers, which is something we're definitely going to get into yeah. a little bit later on. The next topic I want to talk about, though, is um, and I'm going to say this is perhaps a little bit somewhat self-serving for both PR Week and Cision. And I'll explain that comment right now. As we record this podcast, Cision and PR Week are putting together our annual global comms report. And I have to tell mm. you, um, there are some very interesting findings as it pertains to micro and nano influencers. It seems mm -hmm. that more and more communications and marketers are starting to see the unique power of these specific types of influencers. So, Sinead, I'd love to hear your yeah. thoughts on this, as well as any specific examples you'd care to share about particularly effective partnerships with micro and nano influencers. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Gideon, full transparency, I am the biggest advocate of brands pretty much only working with micro and nano influencers for a lot of reasons that we'll cover. So number one, the great thing about micro influencers, so typically just for everybody's um, kind of knowledge, that's typically, depending who you talk to, but let's just use, you know, general numbers, that is about 
20,000 and less followers on any particular platform. Nano tends to be talked about at 5,000 followers and less, mm -hmm. and less mm -hmm. right? So we're talking smaller influencers. The benefits of those types of um, influencers are, number one, the most important and the most powerful is their general higher engagement rates. They have very, very active community. Um, they, their audience isn't so large that they can actually talk and communicate to their audience directly. And you see that happen. When you start working with very large influencers, just to be honest, they don't have the time. They have, you know, a million followers. They're not going in and having a direct conversation with their followers um, often. So you start to see engagement rates decline. The other thing that I love people to think about when it comes to micro influencers and nano influencers is think about them as consumers with a really loud megaphone, <laughs> all right? These typically are, you know, people who have day jobs, but they really love the process of content creation, but they and they really love their community. So I really like to talk about micro and nano influencers as your C to C strategy, meaning this is your perfect consumer to consumer strategy. Um, so, you know, stop thinking only about B to C. Think of these people, you know, as I said, consumers with a really large megaphone, right? Very active, willing to share, talk about it. The other benefit is that working and partnering with these uh, inf size influencers tends to be cheaper, which for me as a smaller brand, right? Not, we're not always all the big L'Oreal's and Cokes of the world. When it comes to smaller brands, we have opportunity. We have the ability to not have to have the multi-million dollar budgets. You can start to carve out a, a more realistic budget to be able to work with micro-influencers. Um, so I think all around, you get more bang for your buck, better engagement within with that community directly and possibly the consumers that you're trying to reach directly because they're willing to talk and have that relationship, that ongoing direct relationship with their followers. So it's so powerful and um, it is underrepresented. Um, I really think the potential is huge there. So Personally, I clearly am a big, big advocate. Now, do the big guys, the big, you know, influencers have their place? Of course. But micro and nano influencers allow brands the opportunity that are smaller um, or just don't have the budgets to be able to get into the game. Well, um Okay, if anyone out there had any doubts about micro and nano influencers, I seriously doubt they do now. So thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you so much for, for that education and inspiration as well. Um, we're now going to get a little bit more into the collaboration conversation that Sinead touched on earlier today. And we're going to start with user-generated content. It's really powerful. It's hard to mm -hmm. control as well. So many mm -hmm. communicators and marketers crave help with this. Well, Today's your lucky day because in Sinead, we have the perfect leader to discuss tactics on how to scale this critical piece of the content landscape, as well as provide some examples of brands who are doing it well, but maybe even more valuable um, to focus a bit on brand on what brands do wrong when it comes to user-generated content. We're not going to call out any brands who do it wrong because that wouldn't be right, but you need to see the good, 
the bad and the ugly. And by the way, I stole that from Sinead. Okay. She's the one who put that together for me. So that, but it, it's really, it's just the good, the bad and the ugly, right? I think there was a clean, yeah. I think there was a Clint Eastwood movie. Maybe not. I don't know. But, <laughs> yes. Oh, there you go. Well, user generated content. Sinead, Gideon needs to shut up now and let you teach. Talk. No. <laughs> <laughs> this, I am so passionate about user generated content for so many levels, but I, I agree. I think there are a lot of things that brands should kind of just take a step back and, and make sure that they're they're not they're not caught t- they're not making things worse off for them than they than they could. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing is, I would say not having a, an ongoing UGC strategy is a big foul ball. Oftentimes, uh, brands expect too much from a UGC campaign. They'll do one campaign. And they'll, you know, get 20, 25 influencers to produce UGC. So just for everybody's information, UGC stands for user generated content, right? So they will source and work with maybe 20, 25 influencers. They get the UGC. They're potentially working with smaller influencers, right? So micro and nano, which is which is great and where it should be. But if they don't have direct sales from that one campaign, people think, oh, they throw their hands up. This didn't work. It didn't, you know, I'm not doing this again. And that is the wrong way to look at UGC. UGC should be an always on strategy. It should be something that you do day in, day out. Because I people need to think about UGC as the ongoing conversation in the social sphere. And if you are not part of that conversation, how do you expect to elevate your brand and get brand recognition, right? So number one, UGC needs to be an ongoing strategy. The other thing is I know UGC and, and building it out and, and reaching out to influencers, talking to them, getting them to commit shipping product, all of that is extremely time consuming. I, I 100% valid, agree with that. However, there are companies that allow you to scale the UGC development um, and be able to save you hundreds and hundreds of hours. So there's companies like one, for instance, is named Statusphere, right? Statusphere will allow you to be able to have an always-on program. They will, you know, source the influencers, get content briefs out, ship product, things like that. So even if you're a small brand, you should look at leaning on companies like that, that this is what they do day in and day out, because then you can have an always on strategy. The thing about having an always on strategy then for the UGC content, which I find is fascinating now with the rise of TikTok, is that if you have an ongoing uh, strategy, you can actually pick up on trends a lot quicker. So if you think about it, if if a trend is taking off on TikTok, but you, you know, don't have an always on strategy, you then have to go, oh wow, this would be a great trend for my product or my service, but now I have to start the outreach. By the time you do the outreach, get the influencer, you've lost it. You're you're out, you're out of the game, right? However, if you have an always on strategy and the influencer goes, oh my gosh, this is perfect. This trend, 
I'm going to do this trend with this product right now. And you're in the game. That is so powerful. And so that just, again, reinforces the need for an always on strategy. The other thing that Gideon, I just, I want to cry when I see this happen is that brands have to have, have to let go of creative control. You have to just allow the influencers to create the content in the style and the fashion that they want to. And brands have such a hard time with this, Gideon. I can't tell you enough, mm-hmm. and especially coming from the agency world. It is, it's such a disservice for so many reasons. Number one, brands tend to think that only the pretty perfect content will work. And that is absolutely not true. You know, you could have a piece of content and I've been proven wrong. You know, you look at a piece of content and you're like, oh gosh, I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. But man, it speaks to that particular audience and it might be the piece of content that converts for those people, right? So really, I beg brands, relinquish some of that control, let it go, allow it to speak to different audiences and in different ways. So I would say that's something that I would really recommend. The other part is not leveraging UGC content into paid advertising um, and testing this content against multiple audiences. So that's another thing, Gideon, they'll say, I did all this UGC content and nothing really worked. Well, I'll say, did you put in advertising? Did you direct it and leverage the influencers' audiences through paid advertising to get that content in front of more audiences? Did you leverage that UGC in other places and other marketing tactics, such as, did you put it in your email? Did you put it in your website testimonial? Do you incorporate it into your landing pages? Heck, did you put it in your TV spot? I mean, uh, there's so many different ways that you could leverage UGC content. Of course, you have to make sure that you have permission from the influencer to use it in those fashions and or pay them accordingly for those additional rights. But you can leverage UGC more than just on social. And that's where you you can kind of extend the life of your UGC. And that is, um, that's a loss where I see brands going wrong when it comes to UGC in general. You know, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but it is just, my God, the passion and, you know, expertise you bring to this. Do, do, you, do, you, do, do you do any like adjunct professorships or things like that? I don't, but it is something I've been thinking about, but, and I, I do love it. I mean, I, Gideon, I'm what you would call the OG uh, influencer. I myself was an influencer. I started in 2007. Mm-hmm. I actually launched my own beauty brand through my social, uh, you know, kind of followings back in 2007 and 2008 and through my, my blog. And I just, it's, you know, influencer marketing is such a powerful, fun marketing tool. And it's so relatable. So that that passion of mine, you know, continues because 
it is, it's such a human way to market. And it's such an incredible way to, to get your own community involved in the building of brands or building of your message that I think is, um, it's just so cool. It's so fascinating and so interesting. So yes, you can tell I eat, drink and sleep influencer marketing because it's, it's so accessible. You know, you could be a little brand like I was that had very little funding and, and actually get in the game. And I think that by lowering the, 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 the plane, the, the, the barriers to entry mm-hmm. allows it's such an exciting time for marketers and for brands and uh, alike. Well, you know, actually, the last topic I want to touch on with you today, um, well, actually, yeah. not, the, not the one I want to. If I had more time, I'd talk to you about pretty much anything. But I want to talk about virtual and CGI influencers. Yeah. This is, a, this is a bit of a new one. Right? Yeah, this is a bit of a new one, and it's uh, clearly not human, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Now, entering the influencer equation more and more every day are these computer-generated influencers. More and more brands yeah. are using virtual influencers in quite creative ways. These yeah. virtual influencers are really starting to shake up the entire influencer marketing landscape. Fortunately, we have Sinead here to bring us some education and inspiration on this developing topic. So no pressure. Yeah. No <laughs> pressure. Yeah, it's this is fascinating to me. Um I actually don't mind it. <laughs> I what I, I I think about it in a lot of ways. The human influencer is not going to go anywhere. It's not. But I kind of look at some of these CGI influencers almost as like the movies, right? <laughs> you can create this this persona. Um, it's fantasy. It just, I think it's an, it's an interesting involvement of the industry and it's obviously not going to go anywhere. I do think though, at the end of the day, people still know that, you know, in, in most cases, I mean, it's going to be interesting where human like qualities are really becoming blurred, right? Especially as AI becomes better and better at, you know, being able to show or present like an actual human. But for the most part, you know, people know that they're they're interacting with a cartoon or whatever it is. The part that's fascinating to me though, Gideon, mm-hmm. and does worry me a little bit, and we're seeing it on the decision side. So your audience may or may not know, um, Cision owns a company or a platform called Help a Reporter Out. So this is called Harrow. So Cision owns it. Um, it's actually in my remit now. Um, but Harrow is a platform that journalists use to be able to produce queries like on stories that they're writing in order to get subject matter expertise, right? So it's a platform that allows it. I recently launched a a new platform for Cision called Connectively, Mm -hmm. and that is where Harrow is going to live, among many other things and tools that we're going to be providing to journalists and content creators and influencers. And of course, the subject matter experts and the PR comms people that they interact with. So what's been fascinating, though, Gideon, on Connectively, and we've seen a rise in Help a Reporter Out is the rise of um, kind of like, uh, not virtual, but bot and AI subject matter experts that 
are not human. And we have had to figure out ways and we're building it right now. We're having to leverage AI to help us predict and see whether or not the people that pose themselves as experts are actually, we're finding some of them are not human. And this is not just a Harrow and Connectively issue. This is an industry Mm -hmm. issue. We're not the only company that has had to deal with this. And that's where the bad actors, you know, kind of come in. And it is, it's, it's very worrying. We had an instance and I'm no problem talking about this. We had an instant instance um, recently where a journalist flagged this, this profile to us. And I got to tell you, Gideon, it was, it was hard to know that it was. What ended up happening is the journalist put out a query the this this bot responded but it was so sophisticated that it actually linked to a linkedin profile that was built out and very elaborate and the only reason we knew that it wasn't a human was by the email address and then they had zero publications and zero mentions of their expertise in the kind of like communication sphere but I got to tell you, Gideon, it took it took me back because it was that good. Wow. And I, re- you know, that's when you start to realize, wow, because some of the bots, you can see it. The language is off the it just you can kind of see it. This one, Gideon, was very well done. And so we here at Cision and on, in the platform uh, connectively that we launched in April, we're working with machines, you know, data, um, the, our data science teams and our machine learning teams to be able to try and figure out how to counteract these bad actors because it is going to change the landscape of PR communications. And we have to have the tools to be able to detect this because, as I said, as long as you know who you're speaking to, it's fine. But how do we provide these tools to be able to flag? Uh, you know, provide some safeguards because it it can be a problem, especially when we start getting into the areas of expertise, subject matter expert, because that leads to misinformation, spreading it. You don't know who's in the at the background, kind of moving these these you know, kind of building these pieces and infiltrating platforms across all of the the PR landscape. Right. Um, and that, that is true for influencers as well. You know, this, this is, this is a industry kind of issue that we need to pay attention to and to try and think about how we address. I would venture to say that when it comes to, um, influencers, influence content, what have you, probably one of the great ways to address any issue you might have in that is to listen to Sinead. Because no, seriously, yeah. Thank you. Look, I mean, the honestly, the passion you bring to this, clearly, the expertise is there. The passion you bring to this is just infectious. It's, I mean, I literally could talk to you for hours. Oh, However, I know people's well, well, I know people's attention <laughs> span, especially when it comes to listening to Gideon. We've probably passed it already. So I'll quit while I'm not too far behind when it comes to that. But in all in all seriousness, um, you know, Sinead, really, I mean, this is such an important topic, but it is also such an evolving topic. Um, yeah. And um, I really, really think we've given our audience today just a lot of really, really great tactical advice, 
quite a bit of inspiration and a lot of other things that they really, really need to be thinking about. So in my, in my opinion, that makes for a perfect podcast. And I really think that's what that was. So I really, really enjoy that. It is always time extremely well spent to hear from such a brilliant leader who can bring so much clarity on topics of such great importance to our PR Week's audience, such as oh. influencers and content producers, of course, because all of you out there are that. Yeah, content producers. I am very thankful to you, today for joining us today. Thanks, of course, Decision for sponsoring this podcast. And of course, thanks to all of you out there for tuning in. So until next time, this is Gideon Fiddlesite of PR Week wishing you all a great rest of your day.